It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Thank you so much for joining us today on It Is Written. You know, questions form the very foundation of relationships and conversations. That's how you get to know someone, by asking questions. But if conversations were simply composed of question after question after question, and there were no answers, well, we wouldn't get to know that person. And so we are on a journey with our series Beyond Questions. We need to go beyond just asking questions, but we need to find answers. And during this series, I am privileged to have a dear friend of mine, John Bradshaw, Speaker Director for It Is Written International. I'm so glad that you've been able to join me as we journey to find answers to some of the big questions in life. Yeah, me too, Chris. Thanks very much. And I, I, I like your emphasis. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about people who are ever learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. That's right. And many people have this experience where it's uh, all questions, but I'm not finding anything I can really hang my hat on. So as we open up the Bible and talk more, I think we'll share some things that will help folks understand that, that, that there's something really solid, trustworthy, and believable in the world today. And you talked about this, you used those words, and I like those words, solid and trustworthy. Mm. You know, last week as we talked, we talked about your personal journey and finding and, and asking that question, what is the real meaning of life? And finding the real meaning in life is finding God's purpose for me as an individual and then being obedient to the end of that purpose. If there is a God, I believe there is, and if he was responsible for, for generating our lives, and no doubt about that, then he must have a purpose for us. That's right. Otherwise, none of it really makes sense. Some people quit because they're discouraged or dissuaded or can't find answers. But if you don't quit, but you, you, you press on, determined to have God show you his purpose for your life, you'll find that. And that's when life becomes filled with meaning. And you use that word discouraged. And there are many people, some of them watching today, who are discouraged, who are discontented, because just like in your story, maybe they've grown up in the church or maybe they've observed church from the outside and seen that there aren't answers and that there's, and I'm gonna use a really strong word, but that word hypocrisy, mm. where something's being said but not actually practiced. It's funny you should use that word. I was thinking the very same thing. You and I, I'm sure, have both heard many people say, there are too many hypocrites in the church. Yes. Well, yes, there are, but um, there are probably hypocrites in Canada too, but, but you wouldn't have someone from Saskatchewan saying, well, I'm leaving and I'm going to go move to Australia because there are too many hypocrites in Canada. That's right. You know, the, the, that's just a part of life. It's when we find them in the church, they push us out of the church and that shouldn't happen. That's right. And in fact, as I pastored churches, people would say that, especially young people would say to me, pastor, the church is full of hypocrites. And I say, yes, I know that's why they're here, trying to find God's purpose. And so we talked about finding God's purpose in his word. But there might be someone out there asking the question, can we really trust God's Word? Is God's Word, what are the odds that this book 
really is what it says it is? That's a, that's a question that everybody should answer. Find an answer too. Even if you've been raised in the church all your life, you need to come to the place where you're convinced that the Bible is what it claims to be or that you're convinced it isn't. Uh, you can't be ambivalent and people ought to know why they believe what they believe or that they can believe what they believe. It's, it's an intelligent question. Can we believe the Bible? It's, it's the right question to ask. You know, and one of the things I think it might make sense for us to do is to go to a Bible story a Bible story, and in our next show, we're going to talk about prophecy specifically, but we're going to go to a prophecy today, a predictive prophecy, a prophecy that looks at the future. If the Bible is what it says it is, then any prediction in the Bible should come true and give us a basis to believe what this book says. Yeah, that's a fair point. People should be able to to hold the Bible's feet to the fire, if I can mix my metaphors. If the Bible is what, it, what people say it is, it should stack up. So the predictive prophecies ought to mean something, mean something valid. So let's go ahead and take a look. Let's look at a, a classic predictive prophecy in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Okay. And as we open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about the history of where we arrive at Daniel 2, but just to summarize, Jerusalem has been conquered by the Babylonians. The Babylonians take a group of nobility back to Babylon, and Daniel is one of the young men taken back to Babylon. We don't know exactly how old he is, but he is in his late teens, probably 17, 18, 19 years old. He goes to Babylon, and, uh, and, and, and I, I love the book of Daniel, so we could, but they go through a process of removing Daniel's identification by taking away his home, taking away his food, taking away his name, taking away his ability to reproduce. But then he goes to the University of Babylon and the testimony of Daniel chapter one is, at the end of that, through prayer, through God's guidance, Daniel finds that purpose that we talked about in our last show. And his purpose is to be a wise counselor in Babylon and the Bible says that he's actually found to be 10 times smarter than the rest of his classmates who were from Babylon. So an amazing story. But now we hear appear in Daniel chapter two. And so John, maybe give us a little context. What's happening in Daniel chapter two? King Nebuchadnezzar, the mightiest man on the planet, <clears throat> excuse me, has a dream not just any old dream, it's an impressive dream. It, 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 it stirs him so much so that he wakes up and he wants to remember the dream, but he cannot recall it. Now, why this is significant is because the, 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 the monarchs believe the gods communicated with them through dreams. And interestingly, God was communicating with them through this dream. That's right. And he says, I've got to know the dream, but I, I can't remember what it was. And I want to know what it means but how can I if I don't know what it was? So he calls his wise men together, and maybe I should read something here in verse 3, his counselors. Yes. Daniel 2, verse 3. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. They say in verse 4, so tell us what the dream was, and we'll interpret it. 
Yes, and that's always been, I've always appreciated that of the, of the astrologers and the wise men. Just tell us the dream, we'll give you the interpretation. Well, all of us know, if I tell you a dream, you can just make anything up. Just like that. But Nebuchadnezzar's smarter than that. He said, the thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. We have no reason to doubt his seriousness. Yes. Tell us what, it, tell me what it was or else you're dead. Short story shorter, they can't do it. Death sentence. And where this gets really interesting is that Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were considered to be part of the king's uh, cadre of wise men. That's right. And when he said execute them all, that included them. Now, I don't know why they weren't present at that first interview, but they were not. The executioner actually comes for Daniel. That's right. Imagine that. I just Hello? Imagined. Hello? <laughs> Hi, I've come to kill you because of something the king has said. Well, what in the world? And Daniel says, what's up with that? He gets an explanation and he asks for a little time. If you just give us some time, we'll get back to the king with an interpretation. And then what they do is they pray. And you know this, I want to interrupt you for a moment. They pray. Now someone might be, well, what does it mean to pray? I'm going to encourage that viewer to continue to watch because we're going to, we're going to spend an entire show talking about prayer. What really is prayer? But they pray. They, and they, they, they really prayed. Um, and the Bible says in Daniel 2 and verse 19, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So God communicated that dream and its meaning to Daniel, meaning God answers prayer. God answers prayer and we're about to see, not only does God answer prayer, but God knows the future. In fact, we're going to see that God has the very future in his hands. Incredible. So we'll get down here to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31. Can we pick it up there? That sounds good. Okay. He's standing before the king. Why don't you read what he says to the king? And this is what Daniel said. You, O king, were watching and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. This, this is dramatic. This yeah. is quite dramatic. Yeah. So Daniel is given this dream and it's the same dream that Nebuchadnezzar, and I imagine, I, I've, I've imagined in my mind because Daniel is now sharing with the king and he's made it clear to the king, by the way, that it wasn't his invention, it wasn't his smarts, it wasn't his wisdom, but he makes sure the king knows, God's the one gave me this dream. Yeah. I imagine in my mind, what was Nebuchadnezzar's reaction? I can imagine him sitting forward on his throne with his eyes as big as saucers and maybe his, his jaw had dropped open and he's, and he's listening to the, and he's nodding, that's it, that's, ex that's exactly, that's exactly what I dreamed. He had to have been astonished by what he was hearing. And so he's astonished and certainly I'm sure he was glad. This is the dream, Daniel. This is the dream. But you know what? It's one thing to know the dream, but we want to, some, we want to know more than the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know more than just what the dream was. He wanted to know 
what the dream meant. And so John, was Daniel given what the dream was? We know he did, but was he given what the dream meant? He speaks to the king and he says to him, and I want to pick up on something you said, verse 36, this is the dream and we will tell the interpretation before the king. So, so he's not saying this is my thing, this is God and I, this is coming from heaven. Uh, you, O king, are a king of kings. The God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. I'm going to drop to the end of verse 38. He yes. says, you are this head of gold. So there was a, a, a great big image made of a number of different metals, gold, silver, brass, iron, and then the feet were made of iron and clay. He said, the head of gold, that's you, or your kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. He was using different metals to symbolically represent great world-ruling powers. And it's very interesting, and, and, we, and again, you and I are, are students of Bible prophecy, so we could get into the nitty-gritty, but it is very interesting. As you go down the metals, while they are in decreasing value, they are of increasing strength. And one of the things that I've always found interesting, and we talked about this and want to tie it back to our original, finding your purpose in life, going after God's purpose in your life, Daniel tells the king, you are the head of gold, but then something follows that. And it is that word, but after you will come another. And I've always said, this is an amazing testimony to being obedient to God's purpose in your life because Daniel was sharing with the king, you're the head of gold. But by saying, but after you will come another, Daniel is telling the king, the strongest man in the world, your kingdom's coming to an end. That was gutsy. You know, there are other, uh, in fact, one of the major problems recounted about the prophets and priests down through the years, the Bible refers to, is that they'd prophesy smooth things. Yes. And we have examples in the Bible of, of, of prophets coming to kings and telling them just what they wanted to hear. In fact, there's that wonderful uh, uh, passage where Ahab speaks about Micaiah. He says, another prophet here named Micaiah, but I hate him because he only tells me bad things. That's right. And so here Daniel takes his life into his hands. Yes. He, he, he squares off with the, the, the greatest monarch on the planet. He says, your kingdom's going to come to an end. You're going to be overthrown. Yes. Imagine that. After you will be another kingdom inferior to you, and then another third kingdom of bronze, <clears throat> which shall bear rule over all of the earth. The fourth kingdom will be strong as iron, just like iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things. And so Daniel has laid out, and this prophecy in Daniel 2 for those studying the Bible is absolutely essential because it is on this foundation that in fact the rest of the book of Daniel is built and the book of Revelation finds its roots. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. That's, that's a significantly important point. And so Daniel shares with Nebuchadnezzar, you've seen this statue, this image, a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, a midsection of brass or bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. John, as we look at history, Daniel's already told us the head of gold is the empire of Babylon. Now we know Babylon didn't last forever. Right. Was Daniel, Daniel's prediction correct? Was God's prediction correct? Did another empire come after Babylon? Interestingly, in Daniel chapter 5, that kingdom is named. Belshazzar's having the wild party. He dishonors God by bringing 
the holy worship vessels that had been taken from the temple yes. in Jerusalem, filling them with alcohol and drinking them in praise to the gods. And uh, the writing was on the wall. Yes. He was slain. And the Bible says, next, the Medo-Persian Empire ruled. That, that, we're, we're given the name of the empire. And, and as Daniel said, after you will come another kingdom inferior to you, after Babylon, the Medo-Persians. The Medo-Persians come, and against really all odds. Oh, yeah. It's against all odds because Babylon as a city is a fortress with three walls, thicknesses. In fact, there are accounts of history where Babylonian soldiers stand on the top of the walls and actually throw food down at the Medo-Persians as they're coming and, and making fun, saying, we have enough food to last us 20 years. But in a miracle of miracles and God's providence, the Medo-Persians, and we don't have time for the whole story, but they actually come up a dry Euphrates River right into the city, slay Belshazzar and the Medo-Persians. So after the Medo-Persians, or excuse me, after the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians reign. But does history say that the Medo-Persians last forever or is another kingdom come after these Medo-Persians? The Bible said another kingdom, and sure enough, uh the Greeks reigned after the Medo-Persians. They ruled from about 331 B.C. to 168 B.C. Mm -hmm. And they made a, this enormous impact on, on the world, which is in many ways felt in society today. So you had Babylon and then Medo-Persia and then Greece. And that's impressive, but Daniel said four, not four. three. Four. And it's very interesting, the, the metals used, the brass, the bronze, the Greeks are well known for using bronze and again, it's against all odds because Alexander the Great, who's the great general that leads the Greeks across, comes from a little tiny place in Greece, but undoubtedly remembers the Medo-Persians coming and invading and killing his people. He sweeps across, conquers the Medo-Persians, but Greece doesn't end or doesn't last forever. It comes to an end. John, what kingdom comes from history? What kingdom defeats the Greeks? In Daniel chapter 2, you have this great image with legs made of iron. Historians have even referred to Rome as the Iron Kingdom. Uh, it was mighty, powerful. The, the iron represented was a fitting emblem of this, this empire that did crush and break in pieces and bruised. Interesting bruise because uh, Christ would be bruised according to that original prophecy in the book of Genesis. He was more than bruised, but bruised on a Roman instrument of torture that was a Roman cross Jesus died on. Yes. And the Romans ruled and reigned for hundreds and hundreds of years. You can go right now to Hadrian's Wall, the border between England and Scotland. Yes. That was a Roman wall. I've actually stood right there at uh, Hadrian's Wall. Isn't so, that something? Uh, the it, Roman baths down in, down in Bath and, and uh, I, I don't mean to be fixated on the United Kingdom, the ancient Roman wall in London, you can still see remnants of that. Right. Uh, and then you go to Rome, you know, and the Roman ruins are just everywhere. This was a, an incredibly powerful kingdom. You would think it would just last forever, but kingdoms don't. And God had said this one would not too. And the fascinating thing is the Romans are actually never defeated. That's right. Because, the, you know, we have these very clean demarcations, gold, silver, bronze, iron. But then all of a sudden it kind of just leaks and we have iron mixed with clay. So the Romans are actually never defeated, but simply divided. And we can go to Europe today, and I know you've done some extensive touring in Europe, and the countries of Europe today are simply the divided remnants of the Roman Empire. Yeah, that's right. 
And so God predicts, God foretells with exact precision and accuracy hundreds and hundreds of years before these things even come about that this would happen. Absolutely fascinating. But the prophecy doesn't end there, John. No, God saves the best to last. It says, it says Rome would divide, and, and it did. And then the prophecy talked about a stone being cut out without hands. It would come hurtling through space, I suppose, and land on the feet of this image and destroy it. And a great mountain would, would, would fill the whole earth. Let's read here in verse 44. In yes. the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Mighty Babylon couldn't stand for more than a couple of hundred years. Right. Well, less than a hundred years. Less than a hundred years, yes. Uh, the Medo-Persians, a couple of hundred years. Greece, not long. Now, now, Rome, half a millennium or so. That's right. That's significant. But that passed off the scene. And, you know, if I can, if I can be frank, um, <clears throat> Italy doesn't look like it's going to rule the world again anytime soon. No, no. You know, if I, I, I say that with respect. Sure. Uh, none of these kingdoms look like they're ever going to make a comeback. They are done. That's right. And even in the attempts, and it's an amazing thing because, and, and again, we can't get into all the intricacies of this prophecy, but it says that they would try to mingle together but would never come together. Many times uh, rulers and despots and tyrants and monarchs tried to reunite the Roman Empire. Every time they failed. And they failed. Even in this modern age, which many people will be familiar with who have traveled to Europe, the euro, an attempt to unite the kingdom under one currency has still failed in reuniting the former Roman Empire. These are amazing things, John. And so we walk away from this prophecy and we could spend a lot of time and we'll be making an offer today where people can study this further. What do you take away from this in this quest of what are the odds that this book really is what it says it is and that I can find purpose for my life? What's something that you can walk away with? There is no way this prophecy, as accurate as it is, could have been originated by human beings. Now, I understand someone's going to say, well, you use the Bible to validate the Bible. That's just a little oversimplistic because here we have the Bible, we have history, we have archaeology. You can go outside the Bible to independent scholarship, which verifies much of what's written in the Bible, right. some of the key people and places and, and events. No matter how you cut it, Daniel 2 is a prime example of the veracity, the trustworthiness of the Bible. I'll take it a step further. That prophecy ends with God setting up a kingdom that will never pass away. That's right. It ends with the second coming of Jesus. That's right. So if I can trust the Bible, and I think I can, the same book outside of Daniel uh, prophesied Jesus, said he would die on a cross, said he would be born of a virgin, said none of his bones would be broken. All of these prophecies came true. I can trust these. Then I can trust that Jesus is going to come back. That's right. I can trust that God's setting up a kingdom he wants me to be part of. Wait a minute. Daniel 2 doesn't just say the Bible is true. Daniel 2 says God loves me and wants me to be with him forever. That's something you can get excited about. Absolutely. And so just as God answers the question, what is the meaning of life? Just as God answers the question, what are the odds that this book really is what it says it is? We can find hope and security in this world of relativity where everything's relative, yeah. what's right for you is right for you, what's right for me is right for me, we can find an anchor 
that we can cling to, we can lay our hope and our trust in, find confidence and follow Jesus. John, it's hard to believe our time's gone this fast, but would you pray for us today as we end this show and find that confidence in Jesus? Love to, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, I thank you that there is something solid, trustworthy, believable in this world. I thank you that you are a God not distant but near, not absent but present, a God who has a future that includes us. Thank you that our, your plans involve each one of us. We love you and thank you. Thank you for showing that you are a God whose word is true. In Jesus' name, amen. What's in your medicine cabinet? Hopefully, you are eating a wonderful array of vegetables and fruits as they are protective of your good health. When we are eating well of God's amazing plant bounty, we can expect to not get sick with colds and flus as often as other people do. But every once in a while, we might succumb to some virus or bacteria that's out there. That's when you need to have really helpful natural remedies on hand. Here are four of my recommendations. Activated charcoal has been in use for over 3,000 years for health and healing. Made from wood, vegetables, and other materials, it's able to attract and bind many harmful substances. It is also amazing at filtering toxins. In some poisoning situations, activated charcoal is highly beneficial. And then garlic. It's remarkable for its antibacterial and antiviral properties. Feel a cold coming on? Nip it in the bud by boiling two cloves of garlic in two cups of water for around 10 minutes. Drink this tea throughout the day. Ginger. It's been proven to be very effective in alleviating the unsettling symptoms of motion and seasickness, including dizziness, nausea, vomiting, and cold sweating. And lemons. They are famous for their strong antibacterial, antiviral, and immune-boosting powers. Here's a recipe that can ease chills and fever symptoms. Add the juice of one lemon to a cup of hot water with honey and drink at once, and then every two hours until the fever or chill subsides. I hope you'll add these suggested superheroes to your medicine cabinet, along with fruits, vegetables, and especially the dark leafy greens. I'll see you next time. You know, friends, John and I discussed and have been studying beyond questions, looking for answers. And today we ask the question, what does the future hold? You know, we could go to a fortune teller, we could go to some type of psychic, and they're a dime a dozen, and they're going to tell us whatever we want to hear. But you know what? We asked, what are the odds that this book, this book is true? And in the book of Daniel, we found that God can be relied upon. And so today I'd like to offer you the Discover Prophecy Lessons, Focus on Prophecy, where you can study deeper into Daniel 2 and see that his word is reliable. Here's the information you need to get today's offer.
To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 74. John, thank you so much for sharing from God's Word today. Thank you, Chris. You know, friends, John and I have been answering the question, going beyond the questions and finding those answers. God can be relied upon. His Word can be relied upon. I hope you enjoyed today's program. I invite you to join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you.